You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of fixed blade and replaceable blade knives and game processing kits. Now, if you haven't used a replaceable blade knife before, think of this scenario. You're in the backcountry. You've just killed a mule deer or an elk or a whitetail, whatever, and it's time to break it down, get the meat off of it, and get it back to your truck. Your knife goes dull, and instead of taking time to sharpen it down again with their replaceable blade system, the only thing you really have to do is push a button, pop out the old blade, pop in the new blade, get back to work, and uh, then it just shaves time off the entire process of breaking down an animal. These blades are the sharpest and strongest replacement razor blade knives available with blades that change safely and easily at the push of a button. So if you want to find out more information about Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replacement fixed blade knives and their game processing kits, all you got to do is go to OutdoorEdge.com. And while you're there and you make decide to make a purchase, enter the discount code NATION30. N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0, and you're going to save 30% off of your purchase. OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we have a really fun episode today, and I'll tell you why Personally, I like this episode because I get to chat with my good buddy, Steve Wiseman. And uh, for a very small moment of this podcast, we get to talk about things like fish fries and our favorite side dishes. And I'm not going to ruin it right now by uh, telling you what my favorite side dish is. You're going to have to listen to the episode. But I love these kind of podcasts where we have an agenda And we start talking about things that aren't on the agenda and we don't get to one of the main topics, which means that we get to push it back and I get to talk to my buddy Steve Wiseman again in a couple weeks. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about two things. Well, three, if you count the BS session that we have up front, but we're going to be talking about the upcoming teal hunting season and the upcoming dove hunting season. We're going to get into strategy, location, food sources, um, tactics, all that good stuff that we normally cover here on the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. But before we get into today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about Quiet Cat electric bikes. Now, if you've never ridden a Quiet Cat, 
you need to find a dealer and hop on one and give it a test drive because they are first and foremost fun to ride it's an electric bike right and this uh, electric bike has a couple different options you can have a pedal assist which means when you pedal the motor assists you in going up hills uh, going long distances and you have a throttle mode where hell if you don't even want to pedal you can just hit the throttle and go Uh, me and my wife recently were in Colorado and uh, we all know that Colorado is steep and bigger than Iowa and uh, we took some of those e-bikes out there and we went up some pretty steep and rugged terrain and we were able to handle it very well Uh, it's there's an easy learning curve with these bikes and um, it's absolutely awesome so whether you are getting older whether you have to go a long distance from your truck to your tree stand or just putzing around your farm checking trail cameras uh, checking fence uh, checking livestock anything like that Uh, I think a a quiet cat would be an absolutely great accessory uh, to have in your arsenal whether it's uh, on your farm on your lease or just to have fun in you know putzing around the countryside so if you want to find out more information about Quiet Cat, visit quietcat.com and the, it's cat is spelled with a K, quietcat with a K.com. Check out all the different options that they have and uh, yeah, check it out. So we've done the commercial. Let's get into today's episode with Steve Wiseman. Three, two, one. All right, on the podcast with me today, I feel the amount of times that he's been on, I can call him a regular now, Mr. Steve Wiseman. How you doing, man? Hi, Dan. Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, We've weathered the storm here in eastern Iowa, so to speak. Things have kind of gotten back to normal. I have water, I have power, I have Wi-Fi after six days without it, so that's good. And now I'm starting to get ready for the hunting season, you know, shooting my bow a lot more, getting all my gear ready. Uh, have you been spending some time on the boat? You know, I, I have. Um, I, I'm starting to think about some hunting seasons and some fishing seasons. And this time of year, um, I, I like to chase deep water bluegills on West Okaboji. So I'm doing that. And, uh, Fishing a little bit walleyes um, on Big Spirit and uh, catching some perch along at the same time. Um, starting to think about the hunting seasons, but I kind of, I'm 72. I kind of let my son, who is 44, kind of take the lead in that type of thing <laughs> anymore. I figure I, I paid my dues and it's time for him to start carrying this fat old man around. <laughs> so that's how it works, right? I, I mean, it's, uh, it's almost like uh, an extension of life. Well, hey, man, I've gotten you this far. Now it's time to help me out. That, that's right. And uh, in all honesty, he does, a, he does a great job of it. Right. Yeah. We argue and bicker, bicker and stuff like that. That's just kind of our our kind of relationship. But yeah. uh, we, we care deeply for each other, and, and he's taking care of me now. Now, wait one second. What about when you're on the boat now? Who's in charge there? Then that becomes an argument. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was the answer. I've, 
<laughs> I've still got my ways, and he has his ways. Right. And, uh, but uh, it, it works out. It Good. works out. Good. Well, I'm excited to uh, have you back on the, the podcast because we always get into some really good conversations about things that are that are happening in Iowa. And we, we don't need to go into any detail, but we both know that 2020 has been an absolutely crazy year. And I, I heard a rumor about Okaboji and Spirit uh, the other day, and this summer a guy told me and i want to hear it from the horse's mouth this summer the fishing just hasn't been as good as previous years i beg to differ okay there we go the truth comes out i really do in some respects it isn't in some respects it is i have seen more people fishing i think than in the past and i know talking to colleagues in minnesota uh, they're blowing the lid right off the top of, of fishing license sale. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think people are recreating more. Uh, we see more people, uh, planting gardens, more people doing stuff around their yards, more people walking trails, biking trails, more people bird watching, kayaking, you know, things like that being able to social distance and to get outside yeah. because we know you and I both know, Dan, that nature is a great healer. Oh, absolutely. It always is. I, I, and I, I, I don't care if you're an indoor person or an outdoor person to be able to be out there and just experience that quiet, the solitude to see those things in nature, things like that. That's healing. Now we come back to our lives and we have the pressures of COVID and we have the political battle between the parties that to me is just crazy. You don't even know what's true anymore. I mean, it's just crazy. But as far as fishing goes, um, the walleye fishing on Big Spirit from June to the middle of... uh, july was unbelievable okay it was crazy it was that good everybody getting limits uh lots of limits yeah sometimes um you had limits and you couldn't keep them because they were slot fish oh yeah or they they were too big so you were catching anything anywhere from probably 14 to 22 inch fish with a lot of regularity there there was one day uh, my, this friend and i i have a pontoon that's on east okaboji he has one that's on big spirit so we can kind of go the best of both worlds and never have to trailer a boat and this was in june mid-june we were drifting um with a pretty strong wind on big spirit and we were fishing in, in an area that had, uh, it was probably 10 to 12 foot deep with weeds up about four to five feet off the bottom. And we were using spinners and a bullet sinker so we didn't get caught in the weeds over the top of those weeds. We had four hits. Four rods went at the same time. Just crushed them. Okay. And... We're, we're using pretty 
long, flexible rods, so they have a tendency to load up and they'll almost hook the fish. So that was not the problem, and we had three of them in, in a rod holder, and one of mine was not. Well, Bill caught, had one on. He got his his uh, in, in a net. I took his other rod and reeled it in. Now we have two walleyes in the same net, and one's about a 20 and one's a, an 18, so they're they're both going back. But I looked my one rod in in the rod holder is pounding the other one that i had just sitting along the edge of the boat was going out of the boat so i take off now think of the speed of a 72 year old (laughs) you still got it i took off i stepped in the net got my foot wrapped around one of the lines so i'm pulling a fish and a rod tip and bill is yelling watch out for the rods and i'm going i gotta get the rod before it gets out of the boat (laughs) finally i got my foot untangled and i got over there and i saved the rod just as it was going over the side of the pontoon and grabbed it and i got that one in the fourth one i raised it up and being a fool i tried to swing it in the boat and it fell off but we we just had crazy days just yeah. crazy days like that. And a matter of fact, 10 days ago, I went out and uh, my daughter's boyfriend was going, we were going to have his birthday party. He wanted fresh fish. We were going to have eight people. And the bite hadn't been really good. It kind of slowed down. And we were on Big Spirit. We were fishing six to eight foot of water, weeds four to five foot up, sometimes to the top, using that spinner and half a crawler. We caught, and we're going at about 1.2 miles an hour. We caught and kept 25 perch, two crappies, a bluegill, and four walleyes between 14 and 16 inches. Hmm. I can already just, smell the fish frying in the grease. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> well, so we had, we had, and I, I chunked up the walleye fillets. We had probably 65 fillets. Yeah. And we've got eight eight people. We ate twenty fillets while I was cooking it. Yeah, they wouldn't leave it alone, you know. Right. And that's how that that means you got a good fish fry going if uh, it doesn't necessarily make the table. That's right. But but anyway, so the, now the perch fishing. If maybe that person was talking about the perch fishing, it's been so hit and miss. We had about a two week stretch in June, late June, when they took off, and they were nice nine ten inch perch and all of a sudden it, it it stopped and now we caught those over the weeds the other day but if you stop to fish them in the weeds they'll catch a couple three and that's it it's it's really strange and the deep bite hasn't really taken off although i saw cable's um trading post had pictures of a nice mess of perch that came in so maybe they are going to start now yeah yeah all right, so I got that kind of, while I was listening to you talk, I had two questions that kind of popped up. One, what's the biggest walleye you've ever caught? Biggest one I've ever caught was a sad deal. Um, 
I'll say the next biggest one was a 27 and a half inch on Spirit. Okay. And it was caught out of 20 foot of water and she got released. Yeah. I was fishing deep, deep water on West Okoboji. Okay. And uh, probably deeper than I should. Well, I know it was deeper than I should have been. And I had gone off a, a, a ledge, a bar that was at about 28 foot. And it dropped off, and I was in probably 50 foot of water. And I hooked this fish, and I got her up, and it was a 28-incher. Yeah. And uh, beautiful fish, but she wasn't going to live. Okay. She came out of that deep, deep water, and the swim bladder was up. And uh, people can say you can fizz them and stuff like that, and I know some people do. But... For all intents and purposes, from my viewpoint, she was going to die. Yeah. And so I took her home and cleaned her. Yeah. And uh, I've never fished that deep like that again. I just don't want. I just don't want to do it. And and I know yeah. the fish are there, and I know I can catch them. Yeah. But I just that that's just kind of my unwritten rule, and I've taught my my kids and my grandkids that we just we just don't do that. Right. I tell you what, my father-in-law, you know, he doesn't fish deep anymore either for that exact reason yeah yeah so i've i've seen fishing tournaments where they've done that and uh, a few days later there's dead dead walleyes yeah yeah that's never good i just no and that that's your brood stock you know and it's just just not worth it just isn't yeah so i've, I've never caught a true pig i did catch up in lake of the woods ice fishing one time I caught a 24. Okay. And she was so fat that when I held it out and my son had a 25, she dwarfed that 25. Yeah. But yet she was only 24. Huh. And how much, she how much did she weigh? Like a, she, uh, I, I didn't even wear her. We, okay. we put her back. But she had the girth to be my 30 inch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was kind of built like me. I guess. <laughs> now on a, on a more positive note here, I want to hear on, on your fish fries that you have, what side dishes are you a fan of with your fish fries? Well, at this time of year, I'm a fan of, of good old Iowa sweet corn. Yep. I'm a fan of fresh tomatoes. Oh, yeah. And there's a time when you have fresh green peas and new potatoes. Yeah. And you cream them. Yeah. Oh, oh don't talk. Don't talk oh, anymore. Oh, my God. Don't talk anymore. Now, you can, also add, you can also add cucumbers and onions to that. Yep. In a vinegar sauce. And let that sit for a couple days. Man, you put all that together, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. Those my mom. I makes will that. add one more. What I'll add one more. Okay. My friend will deep fat fry green beans. Mm. And let me tell you, they're they're breaded. Mm-hmm. Green beans and flour and something else and any any you know kind of stuff you want to put on it. And oh my gosh! Yeah, you start eating those before you eat your fish. 
you're almost full before you start your fish. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You were saying something about your about your mother. Oh, what, dude, what does she? She makes those new potatoes, peas, and the cream sauce that goes with it. And you better be first in line because if you're at the end of the line, you may not get any. Uh, it's, I, yeah. if I if my last meal. If I could pick something to eat at my last meal, that would be one of the things. Have my mom make those for me, it, man. That's it. They're oh, it's just I don't know. I can't I can't talk about it anymore because I'm gonna go down and eat a second supper. <laughs> it's oh, it's so good. And then yeah. I I'm really simple with how I fix my fish. I fry in um, uh, virgin olive oil. Yeah, and and I get it really hot. And then I use flour. Yep. And, and shredded three cheese, Parmesan, oregano, uh, uh, Asiago, and some other. There, there are three cheeses, and they're shredded. And so I put that in with the flour and salt and pepper it, and then I wet that, that filet before I put it in. And then I dump it in a bag and shake it up, put it on, and as that bottom is frying, I'll take fresh shredded cheese and put that on top and let it melt melt and for two or three minutes flip it over and it browns underneath and then you put more cheese on the top of the the side you've just cooked i've never tried that i'm gonna have to try that now. oh my gosh it it, it is it, it it fries up crisp yeah yeah and I, I i just make sure when i put it in my my little thing that i i take a uh paper towel and just kind of get the extra grease off the fillet. Yep. You know, because that that can be kind of greasy. But I tell you what, I I had a teenage girl, I had a seventh grade boy, and I had a ten year old granddaughter. And let me tell you, they picked out on that. Yeah. I'll tell you this. They really did. Um, so if if I could control the world right and have cream you know peas and uh new potatoes every time that's what i'd have but on a standard on a standard fish fry i am a sucker for a good homemade potato salad uh so oh yeah fried fish you were you were reading you were reading my mind my mother-in-law was the guru of potato salad Mm -hmm. and by golly my wife beats it really i never thought she could but she does yes the family always is asking for my yeah. wife's potato salad yeah, yeah. oh God. yeah and yes. then my so my grandma on my mom's side makes a really awesome potato salad and then my sister-in-law she makes this uh bean like uh pork and bean recipe that she puts some vegetables in and she puts uh, mm-hmm. a little, uh, you know, some brown sugar in it and she puts uh, yeah. like some uh, ground beef in it. Oh man, that right oh, there, that's good. Th- there's only one thing to do after that meal and that's sit in a chair and go to sleep. That's the sit only in thing the chair, you can watch it. I'll sit in a chair and watch my twins win. That's, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Well, Iowa football is out of the question this year, so there's not much I can yeah. do. Just hunt more, I guess. No kidding. Yep, yep. Well, I, you know, thank goodness we do have our our outdoor recreation. We really do. Yeah. And I think we'll see more hunters out this year. I really do. Yeah. Well, 
let's <laughs> let's uh, change the topic and get into what what we were uh, originally supposed to talk about. Supposed to, <laughs> yeah, supposed to. But I tell you what, you start talking about food with me, yeah, I don't. I'll talk about that yeah. all day. So, um, <laughs> we got some we got some uh, season openers coming here September first, and that's the the teal and the dove season. And I know you're a waterfowl guy. So let's talk, let's kick it off by talking about this teal season um, that opens September 1st. And I'll be honest, I'm not a waterfowl guy. So I'm going to rely a lot on you to uh, kind of, you know, lead this one. But uh, so it's September 1st. What are the teal doing this time or that time of year? On September first, I mean, are, are there big flocks of them? Like, are they migrating, or are they? Well, t- teal are are really wimpy. Any type of cool weather, it might be a low forties night, and they they skedaddle, they just get out, and they'll do that all along the flyway. And the the hope is, if you're sitting here in Northwest Iowa, that there'll be a a 30 upper 30s degree night 100 100 miles north to about 20 miles north <laughs> and then it'll be 45 48 degrees in where you're at and they'll come in and they'll stay a couple three days until they want to leave or until hunting pressure moves them or until it gets a little cold snap again and it doesn't have to be a big cold snap and uh, you can see it on, say, this afternoon. If there had been a cold snap yesterday, you'd look around at the sloughs and you'd see these little mostly blue-winged teal. There's green wing and cinnamon, too, but mostly they would be blue wings. And uh, so it's really hit and miss. Okay. Uh, but when they're there, it's just awesome. Yeah. It really is. Now, it starts September 1st. And um, it's a 16-day season, and uh, you can't start shooting until daybreak, until daylight. They do that, you know, when you hunt regular duck season, you can start shooting a half hour before sunrise. And they, uh, it's more difficult to tell what birds you're shooting at that time, so they moved it to sunrise so that you know what birds you're shooting. And it's very important. Um, teal come in like little jets. They just do. And uh, they're just guided missiles, and they come through, and uh, they don't come from on, on high and drop in, usually like a mallard wood or something like that. Um, and and it, you don't need a lot of decoys. Um, one of the problems this year is going to be it's dried up a lot. You know, the last couple of years, there have been little um, temporary wetlands and some flooded fields and stuff like that. And uh, teal like shallow. They like mud flats. They like uh, that type of thing. They like open things they can zip in and out of. And so it's going to change, and what it's going to do is also put more hunters together on bigger sloughs. Yeah. Um, and so there will be more competition. Um, also, and this is really an important one, and it just came out. I knew it was going to. You talk about what happened in your area 
and the millions of acres of corn that was flattened by that huge wind. Yep. There is. This is how you can hunt these damaged crop fields. Hunters are allowed to hunt waterfowl over fields that were knocked down by the wind because those fields are considered standing crops. Okay. Hunters are also allowed to hunt waterfowl over fields knocked down by the wind and harvested to the best of the equipment's ability in accordance with the Iowa State Extension because crops are considered to have been harvested. Yeah. However, hunters may not hunt fields knocked down by the wind, not harvested, and manipulated as required by insurance, as it then is considered manipulated agricultural crops, which is not allowed. Okay. So I know so, that. And, and, and that happened during, I think it was maybe the flood of 93, and it was called Pick Acres. And uh, you had to be very careful of what you hunted and what you couldn't hunt. Even if the water is up so high in these fields that the there's not even a chance that they're going to get harvested. You know, and most of those fields are going to be dry anyway, I think. Yeah. I think, you know. But but so, so that's just something uh, people have to watch out for. In other words, you can't bait. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask, let me ask you this about the teal. Are they, with all this dry weather that you guys have been having out in western Iowa, do you see them going to bigger bodies of water like the lakes, or are they still a bird that likes no. a smaller body of water? They still like the smaller body of water, and very seldom will you see them on lakes. No, they just they just won't, and uh, uh, I think. There's still some water. There's still some shallow um, sloughs that have water in, and so they'll they'll frequent those. But there's not as many. Okay. You know, and if and if that kind of water isn't around, those teal will just move on through. Right. So they just if that, that, if it's too dry, they just fly over and they'll they'll find what they're looking yeah. for. Okay. Yeah, that's that's right. All right. Yeah. So yeah. in relationship to where some of these sloughs are, whether it's in a uh, big woods or an ag field when you go to hunt them what are you looking for as far as a, an ambush point well you always want to <clears throat> hunt with with the wind to your back if you can or at least the side wind because that's the the best way that they can land is into the wind Okay. Teal are a little different because they'll come bombing in and swing and and be they'll barely be over the cattails and lots of times you'll just hear it and by the time you see them they've gone through or they've landed and by the time you get ready they're up and gone. They're not like the ducks that come from on high and circle and circle like a mallard or that type of thing. They're more little dive bombers. They're, they're little jets is what they are. Okay. Um, and it's it, going to be smaller, smaller sloughs. Um, you want to have it open so that they, they can see what you're doing. And, and a lot of people just throw out some mallard decoys and, 
and stuff like that, uh, maybe the hen decoys. Some people do have teal decoys uh, just because you're hunting teal, but uh, that's not necessary. Some people will use uh, a little winged uh, automated duck wings, a duck, a teal. They have mallards and they have teal and they have geese and they're motorized, battery operated, and you just kind of push the little button and the the wings start to go. Okay. And uh, they're a good attractant. Um, where do these again? Slews, if there's some, where do these sloughs need to be located? Uh, or, or because sometimes these sloughs can be in you know big timber. Sometimes they can be maybe a, a wetland that's uh, off of an ag field. Are are you looking for a specific type of slough? What I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, what's the food source that they eat? Yeah, you know, they, they're eating what's what's in the water. They're eating the seeds and stuff like that. Um, and so you're looking, you know, a, a really nice shallow wetland by um, in an agricultural field area would be awesome. A CRP uh, plot with uh, the large grass around and then the pond in the middle, that's perfect. They don't necessarily like coming in where there's lots of trees or anything like that. Um, so I think you want something that's open. They really like mud flats, and and some of these sloughs will have mud flats. Um, again, one of the biggest issues is going to be where you set up, and don't be one of those hunters that gets out there 15 minutes before shooting time and tries to set up. Uh, you've already got hunters that are out there. Some have been out there since midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. They've gotten their spot might be the best spot. Don't just set up right next to them or even worse, set up across from them so that you're in the, the firing range. Crazy to do, but people do it yeah. and it makes things really ugly, really ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, how popular is teal compared to geese and mallards? Um, I don't think it's as popular. Um, th this is my personal opinion. Um, I'll hunt it. I don't really like it because I think shooting the teal and harvesting the teal moves your other local ducks on to an area where they're not being where there isn't all the hunting and shooting. So you lose some of the, the, the wood ducks, you lose some of the mallards and stuff like that. And I know you gain some from Minnesota as they come down and so forth. But I always felt that that early five-day season was a, a, a better season than this early teal. The early five-day season was about the oh, 16th, 18th of September for five days. And you could shoot any ducks then. And I felt that was a better representation of early duck hunting than this, but we have it. We can use it. It doesn't take away from the number of days that go into the regular framework of the, the normal duck season. So, <clears throat> and there are lots of people that do like it. So, but it's not going to be as busy as it will be when you get the real duck opener and the real duck hunting going yeah okay so with that being a uh, a limited 
like a 16-day window, I would assume that the guys who are teal hunters are going to be out, and it, it might even seem pressured, depending on where you're hunting, because of the shortened the shorten window. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Right. Yep. So. Yep. And limit is six. Okay. And obviously, you have to use a plug in the chamber. You have to use steel shot. All the things that you normally would have to have your state waterfowl, have to have your federal waterfowl stamps, have to have all that stuff. Gotcha. So let's see here. Are are teal pretty predictable? I, I know a lot of it, it sounds like a lot of it has to do with water levels, how much moisture sitting on the ground, where, you know, where the sloughs are at. But are they pretty predictable as far as them coming through the same time every year is it off by a week no No? (laughs) it just depends on what the weather does if you were to get a frost on the on the minnesota border and it ran down say a hundred miles south they'd be out of there so quick they just move to where it's warmer gotcha and and it, it depends. I mean, you might go until middle of September before you get a 35, 40 degree night. Yeah. But then again, you might have it in, in August 20th. Yeah. And then you got to find mess because then they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> and you haven't even got to the season yet. So it's, it's an unpredictable season. Yeah. So they're, there's and times in the past you can go go ahead so there's some times in the past where that migration just may miss those dates yes okay that's right and it just up oh, tough yep. tough and, and and there's times if you hit it right you're gonna have lots of teal okay what are the other than you mentioned the weather and we talked a little bit about the moisture if a guy is, you know, two days away from season opener and he's thinking, hey, maybe I do want, to, you know, he's, he wants to make a decision on whether he should buy the tag, the tags and license mm-hmm. or not buy it. What are the best conditions, you know, altogether? Well, I, best conditions are to get a cold front 100 miles north of you and let the teal get into your area and i've seen that happen i've seen them come in on a thursday afternoon and you go by these sloughs and man there's teal yeah and then the temperature drops to 35 that night or 38 and the next day there isn't a teal to be found yeah um and so i think i i really think you want mild conditions you want to have a breeze to make them work with the wind. Um, I, I think sun doesn't matter unless you're looking into, into the east. <laughs> then it really matters. Um, but so, so I, I think it, it really has to do with what the weather is around you. And with our weather that we can track now, I mean, you can look and go, uh-oh, it looks like next Wednesday – Looks like up around uh, around Lake Minnewash up there, maybe down to Wilmer. They're going to get a pretty pretty good cold snap. I think we ought to be ready 
Awesome. You know, and, and I mean, you can do that just looking on your, your smartphone. You can see that. And they, they hit it pretty, pretty close, except for that big wind that you guys got nailed with. Nobody yeah. saw that one coming. Yeah. But so any, anyway, we have a better chance now of doing that than we did, say, 15 years, 20 years ago. Okay. Again, it depends on if you're working. If it's, if they come through on a Wednesday and they're there Wednesday, Thursday, and you're working until Saturday, you probably will miss them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a tough one to be prepared for. It's almost like you have to be willing to know that uh, it, there's a possibility the season could just go really bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you don't know. Yep. So yep. the. Uh, Anything else about teal that uh, people need to know before they go out and uh, start hunting them? Well, I think it's it's good to have a, a trained retriever if you can. Um, I don't know how many times retrievers have saved us birds that get downed in, in tall cattails. Maybe they sailed 50 yards or something like that. And that, that dog is a hunting dog for a reason, and they've got a nose. And uh, that's conservation at its greatest. And yeah. the second thing, of course, is not to shoot a Hail Mary shot at 80 yards. Yeah. Because if you do happen to wingtip it and they, they fly 150 yards and sail down, you're never going to find them then, and they're, they're going to be a dead bird. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's great advice. Uh, let's see here. Calls. You call them? Yeah, although it, it, I mean, you can call too much. Yeah, and there are some people just like there are some people who should never sing, and I'm one of them. <laughs> there are some people who should never call. Yeah, I feel you. I'm and, one of them. And unfortunately, they they think they're good. <laughs> and from across the slough, you go, oh my gosh, that cow is sick. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, and so so calling, I I think calls can work. Yes, they can. Um, you got to know it, it's one of those. You remember Kenny Rogers' song, "The Gambler." I do. You got to know when to hold him. You got to know when to fold him. You got to know when to walk away. You got to know when to run. That's right. And that, that, that's it. And everything we do, hunting and fishing, you just have to have that that feel, that gut feel, that knowledge of this is when, right. You know, this is the time to call. This is the time to shut up. Right. This is the time to just let them come. Right. Cool. Well, to all the teal hunters out there, good luck. Um, this is a, a a timing appropriate, uh, discussion for that. As like, uh, you said, the season opener is September 1st. Now we have another season opener, September 1st, and that is dove. And, I can, That's the season. Yep. I can remember a, a high school coach of mine uh, from Mount Pleasant who got really excited. And correct me if I'm wrong, for a while there, there was no dove hunting season in the state of Iowa. And No, we never had it. Right. No, we and, did not. And could you still shoot them or were, were you no, not no. allowed to shoot them? You were not allowed to shoot them. People went to Kansas. They went to North Dakota, they went to South Dakota, went all over, but Iowa did not have it. And uh, the commission 
uh, was able to get it in. I think it was maybe 2011 or 2012. I may be off by a year or two that they they got it. And and we have, I think, they say about 40,000, I think, uh, people take to the field after dove. Yeah. And uh, it's a very popular sport. Um, if you're going to go, you better take, and there are, there are doves around, you better take a couple boxes of shells. Yeah. Because where a teal is a jet, these are acrobatic airplanes. Yeah. And you never get a straight shot. Yeah. If you do, count your stars and go play the lotto because you don't. They dart at the wrong time. They go up at the wrong time. They swoop at the wrong time. And it's always when you're starting to squeeze off on the trigger. Right. Right. And the worst thing to do is flock shoot. Same same with teal. Don't flock shoot. And it's so hard not to because you got a flock of 20 or 30 of them. So you're just shooting right in the middle of them and you should get something. And it's amazing how your, your shot can find holes. Right. Yeah. You know. So I see I see doves all over the place now. I mean, they're sitting on power lines. They're, you know, they're in trees, me walking, you know, to the tree stands or me checking my trail cameras. They're in my yard sometimes. Um, but where and how are people actively shooting them? Okay. On a lot of our, um, public hunting areas, the DNR will go out and they will make a food plot for the doves. And right before the season, a few days before the season, they'll knock down part of that food plot. Now, it might be sunflowers, it might be sorghum, whatever it might be. But doves like to be able to land on that um, dirt ground and eat their seeds and stuff. And with the the disked up or cultivated up um, sunflowers and... um, sorghum, that kind of stuff, it's just, uh, I mean, that's a great place to be. And the remaining part of that field is a great place to just blind up, just get a couple rows back or kneel down or whatever, and you've got the perfect place. And if you've got some water nearby, and most of these public places will have a little pond or a slough or be by a lake or whatever, and that's perfect. And if there are trees in a distance where they roost, now you've got the three things that they need. You've got food, water, and a place to, to roost. That's a perfect place. Now, to find out in your county, Google um, Iowa DNR food plots for doves. <clears throat> and that'll come up, and there'll be you can click on that. And then they have all the counties listed. And you can click on, say, here in Dickinson County, I think there are five areas that have food plots. I think Clay County has five. Emma County has four. And so you can click on them. You can zoom in. You you can see where they are. And you can then, well, the, the, say Four Mile does. Well, you can go to Four Mile and you can take a look at it and see what it looks like and stuff like that. Now, there are... Some areas where farmers may have um, had some oats or wheat 
there's still a few fields of those. And if they combine those and that's still left, that's a perfect place for, for doves. And I know a lot of high school, college kids will do that. They'll go around and, and find a farm where they have taken down some corn for silage yeah. or they have done that with a wheat field or something like that. And that's where they'll go hunt. And on a private, it's even better because you don't have any other competition. It's just you have to get out and knock on doors and talk to landowners, explain what you're going to do and how safe you'll be. And you won't leave your casings. You won't leave your boxes of shells. You won't field dress the doves and leave the guts all over, you know, that kind of stuff. You want to build a good rapport with the landowner. Right, right. Now, do people, these food plots, are they just sunflower seeds or in sorghum or is there anything else? Because I had a buddy who I thought he was crazy because he has a, a, a whitetail property here that he hunts, you know, it's a family farm and mm-hmm. he plants sorghum and he, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, Oh man, this is going to be awesome. You know, this is awesome for deer. He shows me trail camera pictures. And then he's like, well, we're going to dove hunt it first. And I'm like, no, you're crazy. You're going to scare these giant bucks away. Don't do it. Don't do it. But him and his family, you know, him and his family absolutely love dove hunting. And it's like mm-hmm. an activity to where maybe it's not the best type of hunting for a, a, a new hunter, a, a younger hunter. I mean, because the reaction time has to be so quick because they're so fast right. in the sky, but they can sit on a box next to you and the, the, yeah. the temperatures aren't freezing cold and it's a, a great just exactly and you don't have to be quiet yep. and those kind of things yep yes yes you're right and uh everything that you said that that's exactly right it is perfect to get a youngster involved and if they if they shoot just one of those if they get one of those now don't shoot them on a high line pole or a wire, <laughs> you know, and I know people have done it, you know, and people get caught doing it. Yeah. yeah. You can't do that. You just don't do that. And you have to be away from existing dwellings and stuff like that. So you have to be careful of that too. Um, but your buddy's right. You'll hunt those, those doves. I mean, you bet that's great. And, uh, they, they will go through and, and they'll, they'll frequent standing sorghum too. You know, it's, yeah. it's not like they won't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's got little like lanes and shooting like half circles or whatever yep. cut out in, in this field <laughs> and he's got it all prepped out and whatever. And I just think he's crazy because it's a little bird and you know, I get excited for big deer. So, um, but, but you know that, that, that little bird, if you take that, if you take the, the breasts yeah. and you marinate them, say in in uh, a good dressing like a russian dressing or or something like that italian dressing and let it sit and then you you grill them and you don't want to overcook them and then you match them with jalapeno poppers cream cheese and bacon wrapped what an hors d'oeuvre to watch the hawkeyes that you don't get to watch this year <laughs> right Right, I hate to say it, but we're, we might have to support the uh, the cyclones this year because yeah, the Big Twelve yeah, is, it, is playing. Yeah, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Right, yeah. I, I'm yeah. 
So that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other tactics to dove hunting or do you really have to find a, a good food source for them where they congregate as opposed to like, if I just want to go sit on, you know, a field entrance or something, they're not just going to randomly fly by. Well, watch the flyway, watch where, where there might be food, watch where there's water, watch where there's a place that they can roost at night and get in between. You may want to just, uh, Go to that water and put out a, a, a dove decoy, a little spinner decoy, and sit there. You'll get your shots. Yeah. You'll get your shots going to the, I mean, it, it's like World War Ten <laughs> when it really gets going. It is. I mean, they're, they're shooting all over the place. Yeah. Because, like you say, you see doves so many places you go. Everybody does. Yeah. You know? Is the flyway and for so, doves the entire state of Iowa, or is it does it follow the um, the waterfowl flyway? I I think it, a lot of the dove that will will shoot will be local. Okay. A lot of them will be, especially that first week or so. I mean, they've been raised and born and raised here, and uh, they're just there. And every year they populate. You yeah. know. And, uh, and there, there are migrants, of course, you know, there are, um, I've seen a lot of, a lot of doves. Um, if you happen to have a field, maybe that has been cut, say alfalfa or something like that, and it's been rolled into big, big bales or something like that. Uh, that's nice open area. And, uh, they can dust there. Uh, they can get to the ground. That can be a good area. Yeah. Again, if you have the water and you have the roosting area, that's that's key. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, are are people other than retrieving them? Do do people use dogs to dove hunt at all? Oh yeah. Okay. They do. They do. But and it's just like with uh, the the teal. You're going to have hot days, and um, you got to have water for the dog. You got to have water for yourself. Yeah, that's very, very important. And you want to get those doves on ice as fast as you can. Yeah, you know, you don't want to let them sit out there in the heat for five hours. That's not real good for having a good table fare right <laughs> later in the day. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, any other insight on dove hunting that we need to be aware of? How long does that, that, uh, season run? Oh gosh, it runs to November, Okay, but they'll be long gone except, you know, and we do have a lot of doves that do winter over and, uh, but you'll find them in, um, additions, uh, neighborhoods, they're at my feeders eating. Yeah. We, we have doves that are there year round. Yeah. And uh, so, so you'll have some that stick around, but usually when it starts to get cold, your main flock of, of doves leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, Steve, we had planned to talk about, uh, some, some nighttime fishing, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut it off here because we're coming up on time 
and uh, we're going to probably fill... See, you, you talk too much, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> See, now, I've been trying to listen. <laughs> right, right, I hear you. But, 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 you know, we've got time, you know, if you want to do another podcast down the road, because Absolutely. the nighttime fishing probably really won't get going until in September. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and as a little preview, we'll we'll talk waiting and we'll talk uh, uh, trolling from a boat at and, night. And you're also going to share a funny story with us, too. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's funny now. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a pre that's a preview for the next time that uh, we get Steve on the on the podcast. But as always, Steve, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, give us some insight on all the, the stuff that you know and you've had experience with. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next uh, our next meeting. Well, thanks. And, and as always, Dan, I don't want people to think that I'm an expert. I'm, I'm far from an expert. I just have a lot of years of good experiences and bad experiences. And there are people out there way more knowledgeable that that will give you the real science and biology of things and so forth but just from an avid outdoors person this is how i see things absolutely absolutely well steve until next time thanks dan